Hi, this is Delaney Luna, one of the senior online editors at Georgetown Public Policy Review. And today I am sitting down with the new Geopolitics Fellows, Scott Molhauser, Martin O'Malley, Rebecca Cinderbrand, Michael Steele, and Juana Summers. Could each of you go around and introduce yourselves with your name, most recent or current professional position, and Hillary Clinton says she eats a hot pepper every day to keep herself alert. What is your daily ritual? Thanks, guys. <laughs> Hi, my name is Juana Summers, and I'm an editor at CNN Politics. I specifically edit the CNN Politics app. Um, and you will probably never see me without either a Diet Coke or some form of iced coffee because I get up at 5 a.m. to make sure I can work out in the morning. So just lots and lots of caffeine. I'm Michael Steele. I'm a managing director at Hamilton Blaze Strategies. I don't have a great daily ritual uh, except for a small glass of orange juice in the morning. I should get a daily ritual. Hi, I'm Rebecca yeah. Sindergrand. I'm deputy national political editor at the Washington Post and managing editor of the Fox. Hi, Martin O'Malley, former governor of Maryland, former mayor of Baltimore. Uh, my daily ritual, I mean, a good day would be a day that began with some silence and prayer and had gym in the afternoon. That's a good day. <laughs> my name is Scott Mohauser. I just uh, left Beijing as the chief of staff at the U.S. Embassy there in, in China. Um, I guess my daily ritual is uh, they tell me I'm energetic, so no caffeine for me. So two big glasses of water in the morning and about five newspapers. And once I'm done that, I can break into my day. Perfect. Okay, so moving on, in 60 seconds, what is the title of your discussion group and what are you hoping to learn from it? You're going to keep putting me on Okay. <laughs> so my discussion group is Donald Trump, Barack Obama, and race in America in 2016. I think that from as a reporter and an analyst watching the trends and the topics that have bubbled up the cycle there's no more important year to talk about race we're ending eight years of the nation's first black president um, on the heels of seeing the rise of the white working class voter which in many ways has fueled donald trump to become his party's nominee and we also saw that with bernie sanders and the race that he had in the democratic nominating fight we are seeing a massive demographic shifts in this country. So I'm hoping that students who come out to my discussion group, and I hope lots of them do, can discuss, have some of these uncomfortable conversations about race, how we learn and understand race, and how that is reflected in the 2016 presidential race. And Michael Steele, I'm, I'm going to be talking about why Washington isn't working now and what we can do to try and fix that in, in a different sense than kind of this, the standard um, way of looking at this is the, the system that we currently have and then this kind of established set of alternatives. And both the system we have and the established alternatives, I believe, don't reflect the way we live now and don't necessarily reflect the best way to get things done. So I want to talk with students about starting with a blank slate on ways to fund campaigns, organize Congress, um, you know, and avail people of their First Amendment rights and thinking about it fresh and hopefully that will generate some proposals that will actually impact the current system. Hi, um, so I'm Rebecca. My policy, um, my uh, session is going to be about uh, campaign 2016. So I feel a little bit like I'm cheating because it's what I'm going to be doing all day long. Mm -hmm. And then I am going to come to Georgetown and immediately 
deconstruct it and talk about it. I'm very grateful for the cone of silence they have promised us. So we'll be able to talk really bluntly about kind of the decisions that we're making every day um, at the Washington Post, other media organizations. And uh, my thinking is, you know, a lot of students here, you have a lot of them, hopefully some of them would like to be journalists. Um, Definitely. Many of them are going to be working with journalists in whatever they decide to do. But even if they have absolutely nothing related to the media in their future, they're going to be consumers of media. Um, and so they have opinions about it. They are, I'd love to hear those opinions um, as, you know, it's going to be a fantastic focus group for me, hopefully. So I'll learn as much from them as they learn from me, I think. Yeah, sounds awesome. My name is Martin O'Malley. I believe we're on the cusp of a new awakening the world over in terms of our relationships with one another, our understanding of those, our understanding of how we relate to the other living systems of this planet and how we govern ourselves. My theme is asking the question in terms of the United States of America, are we becoming more polarized or less? Uh, there was a, a consensus that came together more quickly than anyone might have predicted around the issue of civil marriage equality. And I asked the question, are there, uh, are there certain basic values uh, articulated in Catholic social teaching, the dignity of every person, the common good we share, the unity of spirit and matter that might be brought forward to find a better consensus, a more progressive consensus, life-giving consensus on issues like criminal justice reform, gun safety legislation, immigration, refugees, the death penalty, and we'll be going through each of those every week. This is Scott Mulhauser. We're going to discuss in our in our discussion group a sense of how Washington is working when no one thinks it can and how it can work better. So there are institutions and processes and things that work in D.C. There's a debate that's going to happen that could be the most watched political event of our lifetime. And, you know, to some degree, things are working. And I think maybe I'm, maybe this is the rosy glow from two years in China, but I do think that there are moments in Washington and there are, there are opportunities to have things work a lot better. So what does work and how can things continue to evolve? Well, we'll discuss that every Tuesday afternoon. So looking forward to seeing as many students as we can. Great, really looking forward to seeing what comes from these discussions. Um, so given this is the second year of GU politics, what do you think makes this class of fellows unique? Well, I could, I, I could say one thing. We are in the middle of the presidential campaign season. This is the first presidential campaign season for GU politics. Mm -hmm. So um, we're in the heart of that right now, and that's definitely going to influence the conversation this fall, I'm absolutely right. certain. Um, and I off the top of my head, can't recall every single fellow who's been involved. I know some of them, um, but you know, you're going to have two journalists kind of speaking for ourselves who are going to be working full time, um, covering a lot of the things that we're going to be talking about in class. So you're going to get a lot of real world exposure, probably more than people want to, uh, to what's happening every single day. Yeah, I think that's right. I think all five of us have been involved in it um, in a real way. I mean, sure. Michael and I worked on the 2012 campaign and one, Rebecca covered it, and the governor has seen it firsthand, and so I think it uh, and lived it and, and and breathed it every day. So it's uh, it's something we're all excited to um, to talk about as a part of this fall, and I think we're going to see changes every week, and there are going to be real time discussions based on real time developments, and we want to hear what students think of it and get their feedback as we continue to deal with it ourselves. Okay, um, so diving more into the current election. One of the core tenets of geopolitics is that a lot of people think politics and elections are changing. Do you think this election is the new norm or the exception to the rule? I believe that this election is a 
there's an exception to the rule, but not totally exceptional in terms of American history. I think this represents a real swinging of the pendulum to a very polarized electorate, a very polarized time. And the question is whether we can come through this uh, or uh, as we have before, and how quickly, and with, um, and with um, uh, something positive at the end of this phase rather than damage. Yeah, it's, it's by definition unique in the sense that the uh, Donald Trump is the first major party nominee in American history never to have held elective office or served in the military before winning a major party nomination. Mm. I think it's best understood as actually a third party candidate capturing the Republican nomination. And the history, of, um, the history of third parties in the U.S. generally is uh, that as they rise, their most appealing uh, proposals and least distasteful followers are adopted by one or both of the major parties. And so I think what we'll see in the wake of Donald Trump most likely is um, portions of his populist agenda being adopted probably by both parties while hopefully at the same time both parties continuing to reject um, the sort of alt-right, borderline racist um, elements of his coalition. And the one asterisk I think I would add also is that this campaign is different than usual, but we were talking about this yesterday. This is my fifth presidential campaign. I've never covered a typical campaign. They've mm -hmm. all been very, very unique, starting with the 2000 campaign and the recount. So, you know, right. everything Donald, is new. Donald Trump's not replicable, but no, moments. Yeah. Moments of this uh, cycle, I think, certainly are creating all sorts of fun new moments for all of us. And the other unique thing about this is uh, I can't remember a time when a major party's presidential candidate was uh, openly disregarding of the Constitution itself. Yeah. So there's a bit of a constitutional crisis to this election as well. At the risk of derailing the conversation entirely, I want to take that question in a completely different direction. I think the biggest change and what's been fascinating for me to watch is the influence of technology on this election. The, per the fact that people are expecting their candidates to meet them on their smartphones and smart watches and the targeting that you're seeing on Snapchat, Donald Trump running ads there in Ohio right now. And so I think seeing how personalization can play into the campaign is going to be really interesting. I don't think that's going away anytime soon. And I think that both parties, both at the presidential level and at the down ballot level, still both have some adjusting to do to what that world looks like and aren't fully adapting to and and, and using all of the tools that Silicon Valley has currently made available. I think there's still some lag behind on both sides of the aisle there. Great. Um, kind of going off of that, um, when you two were working on campaigns, did you find yourselves um, having to adjust in the minute based on these social media changes? Like during oh, the sure. campaign, did you have to keep changing your strategy to keep up with how quickly these technologies are changing? Well, yeah, I mean, it, it's. The pace, every time we say that the pace of campaigning has gotten more intense or, or more minute by minute, it, it becomes even more so. Um, Scott and I have joked before that the people, when we were on Capitol Hill, the people who had our jobs in the 70s or 80s could turn off Walter Cronkite at 7 p.m. and wait for the, Wall Street, the Washington Post to hit their doorstep at 7 a.m. at 12 hours where zero additional information came in. And that sounds like an extraordinary blessing compared to um, the minute-by-minute -minute Twitter, et cetera, um, deluge that is the modern campaign cycle. Right. Some of our uh, reporter, some of our close reporter friends worked at Roll Call, which at one time published twice a week, and then they went to three times a week, and then they went to daily, and now they lament that they don't get 
all day to work on one story and they write bite-sized stories and then that turns into tweets and video hits and sort of the moments get smaller and smaller and it's harder to carve a giant narrative out of that particularly when you're looking to drive the day and drive the news and and try to inject something new into the news cycle be it positive or negative and i think we saw it after many years on capitol hill we saw it um on campaigns i think we see it in, in the work we all do it's just and it's not going back it's still no. moving and it's not good and, and part of it is you know Part of it is great in the sense that there is a greater transparency, a greater access for more people to behind the curtain to be part of these events. I mean, the if you compare, you know, a, a rally in Ohio, if you're in, in North Carolina, a generation ago, maybe you read something about it in the newspaper the next day. Today, you can watch it live on your desktop at work. You can see tweets continuously as it's going on. And a lot of that will be behind the scenes stuff done by the campaign or the staff or the reporters covering it. You have access and immediacy in a way that is just unprecedented. Sure. And one quick other thing is for better or for worse, you're getting things that are more targeted in your direction. So mm -hmm. you can send four sample emails to a small group, see which resonates best, and then get the the one that, that seems to test best or, or get the most opens out to you more quickly. And that happens with news and happens with sort of, I think we are not getting a broader brush to sometimes to our detriment. Um, and also continuing on that, how do you all feel about our election cycle, our campaigns being so long compared to other countries, especially if no one has participated? <laughs> I hate it. I think yeah. there should be 60 days. <laughs> there are huge advantages to a parliamentary system. I don't think it's going to change, but there are certainly huge advantages to something like the European-style parliamentary system where you have a much briefer, much more tightly constrained election season. And the interesting thing, of course, is that you have, speech speaking from the media angle, you see the spikes in interest. So we're tuned into the campaign. We're very much aware of it for you know going on two years, but most of the country just doesn't tune in. You see that the spikes after certain points, and you know we're post Labor Day, post conventions. Um, that's when people really start to tune in. So the election isn't as long for everyone as it feels for us. Sure. Although far more fun than China, where I just returned from, where elections are <laughs> behind closed doors and selected by a small group of countless party members. <laughs> All right. Well, to wrap up, do you guys have any other thoughts on your discussion groups coming up? Any advice for students during this crazy election period? I mean, I think the biggest thing is we're all just excited to be able to learn from the student community here. I mean, obviously, we're going to bring in some insights from the professional work that we've done and our observations about politics, both overarching and what's happening on a day-to-day -day basis. But I think really the coolest thing and what I'm most excited about is getting to engage with an intellectually curious and active student body. If the students that we met at the open house that we've met over the last day on campus is any indication. It's going to be a lot of fun, and I think there's a lot of richness here. We want to learn from the students just as much as we want to impart kind of our experiences. Yeah, as a former Hoya, I have to say, you know, the thing that you miss the most is exactly what these discussion groups are, which is a small group of sitting in a classroom, essentially. It's not quite a classroom, but sitting around discussing mm -hmm. issues, discussing politics. And so that's what I've missed being away from the hilltop, so I'm really glad to be Part of it again. Great. As a college student at the other Catholic university in town when I was 22 years old, I got very deeply involved in a presidential campaign. And so my my encouragement to students is to get involved. Democracy is a participatory sport here, and uh, we need more people to get involved. And particularly for this election, we need the voice of America's next generation. And to to dovetail off that, I, you know, we just encourage as many students as possible to jump in. 
if you're interested, come to a discussion group. Come to pop by the pop by the Institute of Politics and Public Services. Pop in and see what's on the agenda for the week ahead. I think you'll find that above and beyond the weekly discussion groups, we're all holding office hours and we're doing a litany of other things, brown bags and speakers, and then um, we're doing all we can to to continue to sort of immerse ourselves in Georgetown and immerse Georgetown in the program. So we encourage you to be a part of it, and please do. Great. Well, thank you all so much for sitting down with GPPR today. I can speak for all of Georgetown in saying that we're really excited for the coming months. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the GPPR podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you're interested in more, check out gppreview.com, our Facebook page, GPP Review, and our Twitter, at GP Policy Review.